Hey, happy Thanksgiving. I'm glad you're here today. I hope you were able to enjoy Thanksgiving this year, even if it looked maybe a little bit different. I hope you were able to find things to be thankful for. I know for me, I feel like I'm the luckiest person in the world because this was uh, the first major holiday where I've had in-laws. And because of a global pandemic, I didn't have to see them. <laughs> no, no, I'm just, just kidding. We actually did get to see uh, my in-laws, and, and I do love my in-laws. They're great people if they're watching. love you guys, okay? Uh, <laughs> they know I love them. Uh, but, you know, today we're going to uh, look at this message. It's based on a book uh, called Spiritual Breakthroughs by Dr. Wilkinson. And, and it's such a wonderful concept that I've been wanting to share this with the church for two years. And so we've finally been able to fit it into our calendar. And we're going to use these three chairs up here to, to kind of help you discover where you and God are today. And by the time you leave church, you're going to know exactly where you and God stand. And you're going to know exactly what you need to do in order to discover the best life possible that God can give you. You know, deep within all of us, we have this feeling that we're supposed to be able to do more. We're, we, we, like, we should be able to achieve more. We should be able to do things better. We, we should be able to live this life that's significant, that's meaningful. We feel like we have untapped potential deep within us. And sometimes we're not sure how to get at that. And we're not sure how to thrive in life. We read scriptures that say that God uh, has great plans for us and plans to prosper us and give us a hope and give us a future. And then we look around at our life and we go, this is it. There's got to be something more. There's got to be this great, great life that God has, that He says He has for each one of us. And there is. There's a great life in store for you if you're willing to sit in the chair that God wants you to sit in. So this is chair one. It is the chair of commitment. It's one of the chairs from our fellowship hall. There's nothing really special about this chair. It's, it's just a good, solid, sturdy chair. And people who sit in this chair are committed to God. They're going to follow God and they're going to do things His way and they're all in. These are people who are all in and committed to God. This is chair two. It's the chair of compromise. Uh, people who sit in this chair uh, most likely go to church. They, may, they might have even been baptized. They might be in a life group. They might go to a Bible study. They might believe they're doing everything right and totally all in with God. But it's the chair of compromise. It's one of those chairs you take to your kid's soccer game. It's movable. And so sometimes you do things God's way, and sometimes you don't. And that's why it's the chair of compromise. Chair three is the chair of complacency. This is the comfy chair. All right? Imagine your favorite recliner at home, or maybe you've got a spot on the sofa that's like your spot and like you don't want anybody else sitting in it, right? It's the spot that you go to to like read a book and, and to just kind of hang out or maybe watch TV and you just relax there. This is the chair of complacency. It's the chair uh, that has nothing to do with God. This is the chair that is separate from God. I don't have anything to do with Him. He's not a part of my life, so I just live how I want to live. It's the chair of complacency. I want to show you these three chairs in Scripture because we see this concept come up. If you think back to 
when God's people were in slavery in Egypt. And then God led them out of slavery and he parted the Red Sea and he did all these great things, right? During that time, uh, one of the most famous pieces of Scripture that we have comes from that period after they get out of slavery. You may even have this piece of Scripture somewhere in your house, like as a decoration or something. It's in uh, Joshua chapter 24. It says, Now fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, finish it with me, we will serve the Lord. That's a very famous scripture. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And this scripture came from the group of people who were led out of slavery and who watched God part the Red Sea. That's where this scripture comes from. And their mindset was, we will serve the Lord. They were chair one people. They were focused on serving the Lord. They're going to do things His way. People who sit in chair one have a we will attitude. They had kids, and, and some of their kids were really, really young when all this took place with the parting of the Red Sea and getting out of slavery. And when their kids grew up, things looked a little bit different. They weren't as committed to being chair one people as their parents were. In Judges chapter 2, it says, After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. It's a slight shift. And instead of, I've seen God do great things in my life, I'm in, we will serve the Lord, to, yeah, He did some great things in the past. And these people sometimes follow God and sometimes they didn't. And they wandered around in the wilderness. These are the children of Chair One. This group of people went on and had kids. And it looks drastically different. Judges chapter 2. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things He had done for Israel. So just that quickly, the grandchildren of the people who were led out of slavery and walked through the parting of the Red Sea, those people's grandkids have no idea who God is. They don't acknowledge Him. And they don't know anything that He's done. How is that possible to have slid so quickly in the family line? It's a slide that happens even today. And some of us have slid down this row without even realizing it. We're going to go over some categories today, and I want you to decide where you sit, because that's really uh, the question that matters the most. What chair are you sitting at today? So how does uh, each group, uh, each chair, who's on the throne for that person? If you're a chair one person, God is on the throne. God's on the throne of your life and He makes the decisions and, and He's the boss and He is on the throne of your life. And that's just the way it is. For chair two people, it's God and self. 
Sometimes God's on the throne. Sometimes I'm on the throne. Sometimes we're both on the throne. And we figure it out together. This can't exist. This isn't even possible. You, you can't have you and God on the throne of your life. Either he's in charge or you're in charge. It can't be both of you. C.S. Lewis, a really famous uh, Christian author and thinker, put it this way. He says, one thing Christianity can never be is moderately important. It's impossible. It's impossible for it to be moderately important. You're either all in or you're all out. It can't be this half in, half out type of thing. And that's what chair two has going on. For chair three, self is on the throne. I'm on the throne in chair three. There is no God in the equation. I just live life how I want to live life. How does each chair view God? Well, chair one sees God and their connection to God as a relationship. It's a relationship between me and God. And we do life together and, and we're walking along the journey of life together hand in hand. And we have a relationship together. For chair two, it's religion. It's a list of things I should be doing and a list of things I shouldn't be doing. And hopefully I'm doing enough good things and not so many bad things that I get in. And you never quite know where you stand because it just depends on the day. It's religion. You know, there was this guy who moved into this Catholic uh, neighborhood, a predominantly Catholic neighborhood, and when Lent came around and as Easter was approaching, you know, every Friday you're not supposed to eat meat, but this guy wasn't Catholic. So he would go outside and he'd be grilling steaks. And when you grill steak, you could smell it, Right? And everybody in the neighborhood would get that smell, and they'd be peeking over their fence like, what is John doing? He's driving us crazy, grilling steaks. And this went on for a couple weeks, and finally, all the men in the neighborhood decided, we're going to John's house, and we're going to get him to be Catholic, so we don't have to smell this anymore. So they went to his house, and they were like, hey, you should, you should come to church with us, man, just check it out. He's like, okay, I'll go, you know, and... So he goes to church, and he goes to Mass, and he's like, yeah, this, this, this is pretty cool. Okay, I'll join the church, you know. What do we got to do? And I'm like, well, we'll go talk to the priest. And the priest says, well, you, you have to be baptized. So he got some water, and he said, you were born a Baptist, you were raised a Baptist, and now you're a Catholic. So the next Friday rolls around, and all of a sudden, there's a smell of beef in the air. And all the guys start looking over the fence, and there's John grilling, and he's got water, and he's going, you were born a cow, you were raised a cow, and now you're a fish. That's religion. Trying to find loopholes in the rules so that you can still do what you want to do. Yeah, somebody who operates under this mindset kind of compartmentalizes their life. And they, they love God, they know God, and He's the top priority in their life. So right at the top, they've got God here, and He's the number one thing in their life. He's most important in church and all that good stuff. And then down here, they've got you know like their home life, work life, those kinds of things. Maybe some hobbies and interests here. And then the stuff down here in these boxes, well, these are the things like we don't really want to talk about, right? We all know what we hide down there. You see, this person's got God in a box. He's a part of this part of their life, but he's not a part of their whole life. That's religion. Not relationship. And there's a big difference. 
For a chair three person, their connection to God is rebellion because they don't know God. They have nothing to do with God. They have rejected God. If you think you're in chair three and you find yourself here today or if you're watching online, hey, I'm glad you're here. And we love you and, and it's totally cool that you're sitting in chair three and we just want to offer you a chance to discover where God's best life is. Maybe we look at the Bible. How does each chair view the Bible? Well, for chair one people, they submit to the Bible. Whatever the Bible says, that's what they're going to do because that's the authority. And so they're willing to submit to the Bible even when they don't really like it. Chair two people respect the Bible. Bible's got a lot of good stuff in it, you know, be nice to others and all that good stuff. But when push comes to shove, if the Bible says something I, I really don't like and don't want to do, well, I'm just not going to do it. I respect the Bible, but I'm not going to submit to all of it. I'm going to pick and choose where it's convenient for me, where it lines up with what I think should be right. Chair three, they own a Bible. It's probably like a really old Bible that was passed down from like great-grandma or something, and it sits on a table and just collects dust. They don't ever look at it. They just happen to own one. What about your job? Chair one, people see their job as a mission. When they're at work, they are on mission with Jesus. Whatever clients they come across or coworkers or customers or whoever, they are on mission with Jesus and aware that God is working through them at their job. That's somebody who views their job as a mission. Chair two people would see their job as a blessing. God gave me this job, and it's awesome. I'm thankful for that. I get money, and I can provide for me and my family. I'm super thankful to God for it. But I'm not really on mission. I'm not really thinking about it that way. I'm just thankful I've got a job. There's a difference. For chair three people, it's just an opportunity. It's an opportunity to you know, get money, get a raise, get a better job, just to provide for me, provide for my family. It's an opportunity. How about your marriage? Chair one sees marriage as a covenant. Till death do us part, and we mean it. For chair two, it's a contract. You do for me, and I'll do for you, and as soon as you don't do for me, I'm out. It's a contract. And yes, there are reasons for divorce. There are biblical reasons for divorce. And if you find yourself today in some type of a situation where you've got things going on in your marriage, hey, reach out to somebody for help. You know, talk to a counselor, talk to a pastor, uh, talk to a friend, have a conversation with somebody, get help that you need. And I know some of you maybe have come from a divorce in your past and, and you've been divorced and whether it was their fault or your fault or everybody's fault or nobody's fault, hey, I'm glad you're here. I, I have no interest in judging anybody. I have no interest in, in trying to do anything like that. That's not what we're about. I'm glad you're here. Chair three would see marriage as a convenience. It just works out best for me to be married and, you know, whether it's more money or I just like to have company or whatever. It's just the convenient thing for my life is to be married. How about your finances? Chair one, people understand that they are a steward. That ultimately their money is not their money. Their money is God's money. God's just letting them have it for the time being to live. And so when God asks for some of it back, they give it back because it's not theirs in the first place. 
In the Old Testament, this was called a tithe. They gave 10% of their income regularly back to God. We don't really do that nowadays. Some people practice that. Other people do different amounts. Jesus said, hey, I just want you to be a cheerful giver. I want you to be happy about giving, knowing that it's not your money. It's God's money. For chair two people, they would be philanthropists. You know, they, they want to help people. They use their money to do great things. Maybe they raise money for causes or start organizations. You know, there are a lot of people who have a lot of money who do a lot of good in our world. And all of that's awesome and great, and I'm glad they do it. But there's a difference between this and realizing that the money's not even yours in the first place. There's a difference here. For chair three, they're owners. I mean, the money's mine, and that's the end of it because I've worked for it. And so that's, that's totally where that perspective would come from. How about your relationship to the local church? For chair one people, they're partners with the local church. They're engaged in the local church. They would say they're with the local church. They serve, they give, they participate. They, they are partners in the mission. For chair two people, they're consumers. They're going to come, they're going to consume the sermon, consume some worship. My kids can consume the kids' ministry and the student ministry, and all that's good and good, but I'm not really a partner. I wouldn't say that. I'm just consuming from the church. There's a difference. For chair three people, this one doesn't really apply because they don't go to church, right? So they have nothing going on when it comes to relating to the church. How about parenting? Here's where it gets real. Chair one people are trying to raise godly kids. Chair one people want to raise their kids to grow up to be chair one people in the future. I have two kids, and it is my prayer that they will grow up and be chair one people. And whether that means God calls them to go on missions somewhere in some other country, or if he calls them to live right close to me, I'm in. Because I want godly kids. And I hope they can be chair one people. Chair two, they want good kids. And that's a good thing, right? I mean, I want my kids to be good. I want, I want them to get along with people and do good things in the world and all that good stuff. There's, there's nothing really necessarily wrong with wanting to have good kids, but it's different than godly kids. There's a slight difference here. Chair three people would say, well, I want successful kids. I want my kids to like achieve stuff and do stuff because you know then I feel good about it and I can tell like my coworkers at work and get to share those stories and brag on them. They want successful kids. You know we actually see this concept play out in Scripture. There's a guy by the name of King David. He's super popular in the Bible. You've probably heard of him. He was a chair one person. He was a chair one person and a murderer and an adulterer. And at the end of his life, God looked at him and said, that is a man after my own heart. How is that possible? How can a guy like that be a chair one person? And that's what I love about this whole thing. You see, all of this is not about doing good stuff or avoiding the bad stuff. It's not like you've done bad stuff and so you're disqualified. See, King David messed up big time. But he kept coming back to chair one. No matter what happened in his life, no matter how bad he screwed it up, he kept coming back to chair one. I know for me, I screw up stuff all the time. I don't pretend to be anywhere near perfect. 
But you know what? I want to come back here every time. King David came back to this chair so much that at the end of his life, God had no choice but to say, that's a man after my own heart. King David had a son named Solomon. He became King Solomon. You've probably heard of him because he wrote the book of Proverbs. So if you ever read Proverbs, he was the author. But he wasn't a chair one person. He ended up being chair two. He started off pretty good and was doing things God's way. And then along the lines, he kind of compromised some. And he started shifting this way. And he kind of messed some things up. He ended up being a chair two person. He had a son, Rehoboam. He was an awful king. He ended up being a chair three person. He allowed the people under his control to worship other gods besides God. He ended up way down there. So King David starts here, and his grandson is somehow over there. The slide happens quick. You can go from chair one to two to three very, very easily. So what do we do with all of this? Well, Dr. Wilkinson, has, the author of this book, has given this talk to thousands and thousands of people. And he said the thing that has not surprised him in all his talks is that he's found out that, that chair one parents tend to raise chair one kids. I mean, there's no guarantee. Your kids can do whatever they want. They have free will and they could end up somewhere way over there. But he said they tend to raise chair one kids. And he says, in order to raise a chair one child, you have to commit to being a chair one parent. The thing that he said surprised him in all his years of doing all of these talks and research was that he found that chair two parents, they don't raise chair two kids. They raise chair three kids. Why is that? Well, we saw it in Scripture too, right? Right? I don't know if, if Rehoboam in Scripture looked at his dad Solomon and thought, well, I don't want this mess. Sometimes you're with God, sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're doing this, sometimes you're doing that. Oh, forget it, I'm going my own way. That might have been what happened. I don't know how Solomon ended up here. Maybe he looked at his dad, David, and thought, man, this guy's a hypocrite. He says he loves God, but look, he did these terrible things. I don't want to deal with that. Bye. I think what Solomon missed was how often David kept going back to chair one. And that's the part that really, really matters. So where do you sit today? No matter where you sit, there is a call to action for you. There is a word for you today. If you think, yeah, I feel like I'm somebody who's sitting in chair one. I feel pretty good on most of those topics. I'm chair one. I'm pretty good. Then the word for you today is reaffirm. You have to reaffirm your faith. Jesus put it this way. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So if you say, yeah, I'm in chair one. I'm with God. I am all in. That's awesome. Because this is where God's best life is for you. But it's a daily thing. You have to daily pick up your cross. You have to daily reaffirm that you want to sit here. It's going to be an everyday thing. If, if you find yourself in chair two today, the word for you is repent. One of the scariest, in my opinion, pieces of scripture 
comes from the book of Revelation. And Jesus says, I know your deeds. I know that you're neither cold nor hot. And then I wish you were one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And, and the real translation there for spit is vomit. Chair two makes Jesus want to vomit. I know that's real hard to hear because I find myself here sometimes too. But chair two makes Jesus want to vomit. I think part of the reason is because he knows that the best life for you, the life he wants you to have, is only found here in chair one. So as long as you're sitting there, you're missing out. And so he wants you to repent and move back over. And Scripture tells us that when we repent, the angels in heaven start a party. If you find yourself in chair three today, I get it. I could see why you wouldn't want much to do with religion and Christianity. You've probably looked at Christianity before and you've seen chair two people. And you've thought, I don't want anything to do with that. They're hypocrites, they're judgmental, sometimes they're doing things God's way, sometimes they look like everybody else in the world. Why would I want to get involved in all of that? I think that's the other reason Jesus is sick over chair two. Because it stops other people from following God. If you're in chair three today, the word for you is receive. You simply just need to receive the free gift that comes from God. In Romans... It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you get a gift from somebody, you don't do anything. You didn't earn it. You didn't pay for it. You did nothing. You just receive it because it's a gift. And so if you find yourself in this chair today and you're here or you're watching online, I'm glad you're here. We love you. And all you have to do is receive the free gift of salvation. You don't need to run out and change your life. You don't need to do this, that, and the other. You don't need to fix up all your problems. Whatever. You just need to receive the free gift of forgiveness and grace that comes from your loving Father in heaven. So, where do you sit? The worship team's going to come back up here and lead us in another song and one thing I have learned in life is that God really does have a great plan for our lives he really does love us and he really does have plans to bless you and to prosper you but you can't achieve those things unless you're sitting in chair one chair one is the only place that you can find God's best life for you and so if you're going to discover that life, it's going to require you move to this chair. And here at Taylorville Christian Church, we want to try to make it as easy as possible for you to connect with God. We want to try to help you in that and assist you in that. So what we've done is we've created a website. It'll be on the screen. It's, it's in your bulletins. They'll post it in the comments probably for those of you online. And we would love for you to go there and to let us know where you're at spiritually. 
Maybe you've decided that, yeah, you know what, I'm in one and I want to stay in one. Well, tell us about that. Go to that site and tell us. We want to hear that stuff and we want to celebrate with you. Maybe you're in two and, and it's time for you to repent. And you've decided, man, as for me and my house, we want to serve the Lord. Tell us about that. If you simply just want to receive the free gift of forgiveness and grace, reach out to us and let us know so that we can help you. No matter where you find yourself sitting, I know that God has a great plan for your life, but it is only found in chair one. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.